Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Sports betting has been passed in the Ohio House and Senate and is awaiting the governor's signature. In a moment, I'll talk with somebody who testified during hearings on the bill. It's the Delta variant of the coronavirus that's putting large numbers of Ohioans into hospitals. Nearly 4,700 across the state as of yesterday, although that is down slightly from any of the five days before that. In about 15 minutes, we'll have comments from State Health Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff about the current situation. In the second half hour, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including abortion, more on sports gambling, and stories about state grant money available to help law enforcement agencies fight violent crime, and another being made available for early childhood development agencies. And near the end of the hour, a doctor in Cincinnati will talk about COVID-19 and pregnancy, what expectant mothers should know. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, we talked to him a few weeks ago, is John Pappas. He's the state advocacy director for Idea Growth, which is Eye Development and Economic Association. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. And for a few weeks ago to predict what might happen, and then now we can talk about what actually did happen. A sports betting bill has been sent to Governor DeWine's desk, and he's indicated he'll sign it. And before we get into that, tell us a little bit about what Idea Growth is. Sure. We are a leading association of companies that are in the digital gaming space. So uh, brands that uh, consumers may know, like FanDuel and DraftKings and MGM, are members of our association, uh, but also a lot of the back-end technology providers companies that provide compliance tools to ensure that uh, digital gaming, whether it be sports betting or internet casino games, can be done in a safe and regulated way. So you have a lot of skin in the game when it came to the state of Ohio dealing with this, and you even provided testimony during the discussion of the bill. How do you feel that it turned out? No bill is perfect. Uh, We should probably start with that, but Ohio has done a very good job of creating what we believe are some really important principles when it comes to um, legalizing sports gaming and other forms of digital gaming, and that's the first and foremost is to create a competitive market to allow for consumers to have the access point to bet on sports like they would uh, currently in the illegal market. And, and what you want to do is be able to create a market that is um, something that is more attractive than what, what consumers are finding today to either bet with a corner store bookie or go online and use an offshore website that you know, provides no protections whatsoever. So Ohio's done a great job at doing that. The, the market will, you know, uh, at max capacity, there'll be dozens of options for consumers online. There'll be dozens of options for consumers in brick-and-mortar uh, establishments and uh, at, at like a real sit-down sports book. And then there'll be even beyond that uh, hundreds of options for consumers with like kiosk betting through through the lottery. So uh, they're, uh, they, they're very comprehensive, so that I think is a good thing. Um, and, and I think they've created a lot of regulatory flexibility for the state regulator to um, you know, put the fine details on it, and I think that's going to be the next big step here is working with the regulator to ensure that all of those details are perfected. 
So if you live in a rural county in Ohio, 60 miles away from the nearest casino, uh, other than perhaps mobile betting on your phone, will there be actual brick-and-mortar places where somebody will be able to place a bet? There will. Under under the statute, uh, there are permitting um, uh, places that have uh, existing lottery, keno uh, games, um, and lottery terminals that they can also have sports betting. Um, the regulation of that is going to be somewhat trickier than it is probably for lottery, but um, we, we believe that you know, there will be uh, an ability for people to be able to place an in-person wager um, at those locations, um, provided that the, that location wants to get the license and wants to go through uh, the suitability to be uh, allowed to offer sports betting, which is a, you know, any small thing, it, 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 it's, a, it's a considerable amount of information and, and, and probably money that they will have to provide to get that privilege. Uh, but if they do, then yes, consumers will have that option. Um, I think it's important to note that as we look at other markets in the U.S. where there are both brick and mortar establishments and online, online is somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of all the betting. 80 to 90 percent of all the betting happens online. So the the retail establishments are really kind of an ancillary service to the bulk of the market, which is online betting. Talking with John Pappas from Idea Growth, State Senator Naraj Antani, who was one of the sponsors of legislation and has been working on this for years, said the other day that he expects this to be challenged legally in a couple of ways. One is because it's the Ohio Casino Control Commission instead of the Ohio Lottery overseeing it. And the other is that the bill that passed was a violation of the single subject rule. Uh, those are two areas where I probably wouldn't be able to opine very, uh, very strongly on. I'm not an expert in what, uh, what uh, uh, in Ohio constitutional law. Uh, I know that the bills were vetted by uh, legal experts uh, within the Ohio legislature that believed that they would be, uh, uh, they formed a legal construct to allow for the Casino Control Commission to uh, regulate the industry, um, and um, also, uh, I'm not you know, I'm not certain about the single subject matter, but um, we're, we're we're confident that it would withstand any legal challenges. And um, you know, I think that's not unusual. We, we see legal challenges to a number of different types of legislation, not just gambling legislation, but certainly when some stakeholders feel like they may have not gotten what they wanted out of the process, uh, they may turn to the courts to try to remedy that. Yeah, sometimes it's even just a matter of uh, intentionally trying to slow it down, I guess, rather than win, right? Yep, yeah, exactly. And certainly I think that would run contrary to what Ohio consumers want, right? Ohio consumers want legal betting and they want it now. Um, I, you know, I was on a program um, earlier in the week and I had predicted maybe too optimistically that we could have legal sports betting in Ohio by the NFL season of 2022. In the last 24 hours, I've met and talked to some folks at the Ohio Casino Control Commission, and they, they, they think that's too optimistic. They think that their work won't get done until much later in 2022, and that they'll meet the 2023 statutory deadline to launch, but it's going to be right up to that point. Uh, yeah, because there's, a, there's still a, a pretty uh, involved rulemaking process and regulatory process that Ohio undergoes, I guess. It is, uh, it is rigorous. Uh, there are time 
frames that are imposed that are, you know, unmovable. Um, so 90 days for this, 180 days for that, and you just really can't change the calendar. Um, my hope is that um, working with the industry, the Casino Control Commission, can produce regs that are really non-controversial, that address all of the key issues um, that, you know, set the state up for success. And there won't, you know, there'll be limited need for back and forth uh, with comments and, and, and concerns with the rules. So uh, we're hopeful that, that that will be the next step here is, you know, some, um, some positive uh, collaboration to get the rules in a really good spot so that we can have them finalized and have sports betting available to consumers as soon as possible in 2022. So as far as the betting goes in Ohio, uh, I'm assuming it's it's pro and college sports, and, uh, and, and will it be simply betting on the spread and, and a few other areas along that line, or will there be all kinds of, you know, in-game type betting and, and, you know, who wins the toss and all that kind of stuff? that is permissible uh, under the under the statute um, certainly what the, what the regulator will have to approve the types of that specifically that would be allowed but generally this would allow for uh, proposition bets parlays uh, money line bets uh, uh, point spread bets all of those would be encompassed here when you get down to nuance of, of coin flips or the color of the Gatorade things like that those are generally going to be states that already have this, including most of Ohio's neighboring states. How has it been working in other states? Uh, it's been working very well. Um, you know, I'm actually at a conference right now of state lawmakers from gaming states. And, uh, the discussion that I just left was talking about how, you know, lawmakers should view their sports betting laws and gambling laws as living documents um, that need updating, that need um, uh, corrections along the way. Um, like I said, even in Ohio, no one passed the perfect bill, but there is opportunity to make corrections over the years coming forward so that, you know, we can get the bill and we can address things as they come up, right? So technology changes, attitudes from consumers change, and, and we need to be adaptable to do that. Oftentimes, gambling legislation is a very heavy lift in states, so we're hopeful that when, when it comes time to come back and and make some technical corrections or ways to update the bill to make it safer for consumers or better for the state, that that would be an easy task and, and it won't take a lot of uh, heavy lifting. 
Just a couple of minutes to go here with John Pappas from Idea Growth. Uh, the, it, it seemed like it was rather later in the stages of, of all of this that Ohio's pro teams got involved, and they, they have a stake in this as well now. Is that disruptive or helpful, or does it not matter either way? Um, you know, I think it, it, it creates, uh, you know, like I said, it creates a, a more competitive marketplace that allows for the, those um, those sports venues to have a retail book, but also partner with mobile sports betting operators. So they'll bring more people uh, into the market. I think that's a good thing. Uh, and we're seeing this trend where the sports teams are really uh, asserting their interest in sports gambling um, in, in a number of states, Arizona, Illinois, uh, Maryland, are all states recently that have passed legislation that have give the sports teams uh, the ability to get uh, a license or, or, or benefit directly from the sports betting itself. It seems like an odd uh, situation because you can understand why they would want to get some of the revenue from that, but at the same time, it doesn't sound like something that they want to scream it's a high heaven about that you can come to the Cleveland Browns and place a bet. Well, they, they, there was certainly, from an integrity standpoint, what, what the way the bill is structured is that the, the sports team themselves are in no way involved in the actual betting or taking risk on the bet or setting lines or anything like that. They, they're really just a license holder, and their partner, um, their commercial partner, uh, takes on all that risk at the line. And the consumer is actually betting with their partner, not betting with the team or the, the venue itself. So there is a, a clear separation there. It's somewhat ironic because the NFL, for instance, was one of the biggest opponents of legal sports betting for decades. Uh, there's been an effort to overturn PASPA, uh, the, the federal law that prevented legal sports betting at the state level, for uh, a couple of decades. And the NFL was one of the leading uh, proponents of, of trying to stop that that repeal, and uh, and now that it's been repealed, they are going to be one of the leading beneficiaries of the legalization of sports betting. Yeah, and also just the whole idea too that you could go into the Great American Ballpark or somewhere associated with it and place a bet where you know the Reds' biggest star Pete Rose is banned from baseball because of gambling. There's a lot of irony in all of this. Yeah, well, I think attitudes have changed, um, perceptions have changed, and I think it's also a realization of of the fact that you know Americans are betting right now in stadiums on a, on their phone, and they're doing so on a site that's based in Curacao or somewhere in the Caribbean, and um, with no consumer protection and no corresponding economic benefit for the state or for any of the state's businesses. So betting's happening right now. I think if we we all know that. Um, so I think what they're viewing this is an opportunity to kind of corral that unregulated market and turn it into something that is safe for consumers and the state can benefit from it. And that was the last thing I wanted to hit on you with is uh, there's going to be money put aside to help with problem gambling. And also uh, it's just a general feeling that having this activity closely regulated will help keep any nefarious business out of it. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, the sunlight is the best disinfectant. Um, they have the controls in place to address things like problem gambling, which is so important. Uh, I think we'd be fools to say that there isn't a corresponding negative association with, with expanded gambling. There always is going to be uh, some negative, and there's always going to be a, a, a small percentage 
smuggling on an offshore illegal website, uh, there is no avenue for hope or, or for help for that person because that website has no obligation, nor do they have any interest in, in providing help. They're trying to extract as much money from that consumer as they can, uh, whereas the regulated sites do have an obligation and do have an interest in ensuring a, a healthy ecosystem that's sustainable, not just a quick money grab. Talking with John Pappas, he's the state advocacy director for Idea Growth, the I Development and Economic Association. John, thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Tracy Townsend and Kevin Landers from our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, have more about sports gambling coming up in about 15 minutes. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and thanks for listening. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey, (laughs) we're pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Might have to start a band. (laughs) I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. (laughs) Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit beforeyoubet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. On Thursday of this week, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff held a news conference to update Ohioans on the coronavirus. We're presenting just selected portions of that news conference. This runs about nine minutes. Here's Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff. Well, this week we reached an important milestone with the one-year anniversary of the arrival of the first doses of the life-saving COVID-19 vaccines. Since then, more than 6.8 million Ohioans 
have received at least their first dose of the vaccine. And that's more than 62% of all eligible Ohioans ages five and up, and nearly 70% of all Ohio adults. This is simply tremendous progress. But we know that our work isn't finished. We need more Ohioans to choose to get vaccinated, to gain protection from this deadly virus and help stop the spread and for those who are fully vaccinated and eligible for a booster to get their booster shot as soon as possible. Now, tragically, more than 800,000 people in the United States have died from COVID-19. That's higher than any other country has reported. In Ohio alone, we've lost more than 27,000 lives. Today, we're continuing to see very high COVID-19 cases and very high rates of hospitalization. Just yesterday, we reported 9,738 COVID cases in the previous 24 hours. And that wasn't including 840 cases from a reporting backlog from an Ohio lab. In addition, we have more than 4,735 patients in the hospital with COVID-19, and 741 of them are fighting for their lives on a ventilator. Furthermore, an analysis of hospitalization data from the past two weeks shows that approximately 22% of all patients hospitalized with COVID are under 50, and 13% are under 40. We're in a very serious situation. Our number of patients in the ICU is almost as bad as it has ever been throughout the entire pandemic. With the 1,177 patients in the ICU, not very far from the all-time high of 1,318 patients that we were seeing uh, about a year ago today. Our data continues to show that most hospitalizations and deaths are actually among individuals who are not fully vaccinated, with about 95% of all hospitalizations having occurred among the unvaccinated. Simply put, we're in a very serious situation, but we have a powerful tool in vaccination that can strengthen our protection against severe cases of COVID-19. Now, when you choose vaccination, you're protecting yourself in a powerful way from the risk of hospitalization and death associated with this virus. I've heard too many stories from physicians and nurses treating patients who have then begged for the vaccine when fighting the virus in the hospital, but by then, it's too late. Making the choice to be vaccinated right now can keep you out of the hospital and more importantly, out of the obituary pages. However, if you have been exposed to the virus or have symptoms of COVID-19, I want you to know there are many options for you to seek testing. We've heard about how busy our hospitals are, so please don't go to an emergency room simply to confirm a COVID-19 diagnosis. Many pharmacies provide free drive-through testing by appointment, 
And testing may also be available at doctor's offices, urgent cares, and community health centers. And of course, free rapid testing kits are available at libraries, local health departments, and community health centers across our state. Now, although COVID-19 vaccination remains remarkably effective at preventing severe disease, we know that immunity can wane over time. So with the COVID vaccines, it's important, just as it is with any other vaccine, to stay up to date with your vaccinations. You know, in Ohio, more than 2.2 million additional doses have already been administered either as a booster dose or as additional doses for people who are immunocompromised. Booster shots, let's remember, are recommended for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines at least six months after completion of your primary series. And for those who got J&J, two months after completion of that shot. Pfizer recipients uh, must be at least 16 years old to get a booster. Booster doses are crucial not only because of the protection that they provide against Delta, which is the dominant strain driving these incredibly high hospital cases that we're seeing right now, but also because early research points to timely boosters providing protection against severe illness and death, even from the new Omicron variant, which is on the way. So for people who received their initial series six months ago, you have to recognize that you might now have diminished levels of those neutralizing antibodies as we're getting ready to face Omicron. However, receiving a timely booster dose now, if you're eligible, has been shown to restore those antibody levels and will provide significant protection. Later on in the news conference, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, talked about what the future might be as we continue to deal with the pandemic. If you look at projections uh, for the United States, or you actually look at the learned experience from other parts of the world, uh, they all point in the same direction. And that is that uh, Omicron is emerging on the world scene and is certainly emerging here in Ohio, as we shared. And it's coming on, it, even as we are dealing with a Delta-driven surge, which is greater than any surge we have seen before. So all one has to do is look at that and say, we're facing a very serious situation in terms of dealing with COVID-19. And then when we add the layer onto that, that nearly all not all, but nearly all, the vast majority of the people who get sick enough to require hospitalization or, God forbid, pass away from COVID-19 are people who are unvaccinated or have not gotten a booster on time. And it, it really just points to the message that we're sharing here today and why it's so important. It's the reason that you see healthcare providers in front of you expressing with urgency the importance of getting your vaccination or getting your booster, keeping your vaccine status up to date. And more and more, I think over the period of the past months, I, I think you've heard healthcare providers and uh, experts in epidemiology looking at this virus and saying, you know what, what we have to learn to do is to live with this virus um, it, it's it's just not going to be possible at this stage in the game to eliminate this virus. Uh, now, 
there are lots of variables here. And Dr. Gordon pointed to one. Uh, there, we, it, it is possible that Omicron will be associated with less severe disease and will be a mechanism for uh, expanding immunity uh, in our communities and uh, potentially help uh, actually pull us out of this. But that's a hope. <laughs> and I think that we have to look at reality that we're facing right now and anticipate the very real possibility that this actually could exacerbate an already serious problem on the ground that's being driven by Delta. And the advent of Omicron um, uh, just has a lot of unknowns with it. So I understand how people feel. Believe me, each and every one of your panelists here today feels very much the same. Uh, but we can't, uh, we, we can't throw our arms up. Uh, they're, they're, we've got tools. We need to put those tools to work. Uh, and we will get through this. But uh, now's not the time to let up on the gas pedal. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, from a news conference on Thursday. This is Jim at a party. Dude, pass it. Hi there. This is Jim making nachos. Hi there. This is Jim watching his favorite horror movie. Oh, yeah, definitely hi there. And this is Jim driving his car. Dude, not hi there. Jim's making good decisions and not getting behind the wheel when he's high because he knows that if you feel different, you drive different. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Grace Gostet. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent, or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need. 211, how can I help you? Call or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. abortion bill passed the House and the Senate. We look at both sides of that debate. 
A bill to legalize sports betting in Ohio is now in the governor's hands, but you could face another hurdle before placing your bets. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. A controversial abortion bill passed the Ohio House and the governor was expected to sign it. Senate Bill 157 would require doctors to perform life-saving care on fetuses that survive failed abortions. Republican lawmaker Susan Manchester said the goal is to recognize that every child deserves compassion regardless of the circumstances of their birth. The purpose of this legislation is to establish reporting requirements and penalties for attending physicians who fail to report a born alive child after an unsuccessful abortion. Under this legislation, if a child is born alive after a failed abortion, a physician must take measures to save the newborn's life and preserve their health. Consequences of not taking such action may result in the physician being charged with a felony in the first degree. Some lawmakers against the bill say the change hurts OBGYN doctors. There are no elective abortions after 20 weeks of fertilization in this state. The only situations this bill impacts are those emergency circumstances where the woman's life is at risk and there is a, or there is a serious complication with the fetus. In those circumstances, decisions about neonatal resuscitations are complex and individualized based on the development of the infant and understanding of the likely outcomes. These are desired pregnancies and devastating situations to all involved. This bill simply adds the threat of a felony charge to OBA, GYN doctors, and pediatricians who are working with these families. And it does so in an ambiguous way by requiring them to preserve the health of the fetuses. What does health mean in these circumstances? Does this mean all 21-week infants that are born must now have chest compressions and CPRs? They must attempt to be intubated, have central lines placed, be rushed off to emergency surgeries to try to address complex heart malformations that are certainly fatal, but are now required by the state's vague language about health. Instead of letting moms hold their dying babies, must they now undergo futile interventions? And doctors must fear that they'll be sent to jail if they don't preserve health, again, without definition. The CEO of Planned Parenthood Southwest Ohio region says this bill could shut down all abortion providers in the southwestern part of the state. In a statement after the House passed the bill, Kersha Diebel said, quote, while most Ohioans support access to abortion care, we continuously see our human rights stripped by anti-abortion extremists. Stripping abortion care from southwest Ohio will cause havoc that disproportionately impacts our communities. This isn't the end, and we will continue to fight abortion is still legal in Ohio, end quote. Sports betting is closer to reality in Ohio. Changes to House Bill 29 were passed this week in the legislature. The changes would allow Ohio to offer up to 25 year licenses for applicants to partner with online and mobile app-based betting services. That includes Ohio's 11 casino and racinos. Half a percent of the fees collected from those licenses would go to fund federal services. Here's how the other money from those licenses would be spent. 
the money from this whole program will go to education. Uh, a very small portion will go to facilitate uh, paying extracurricular activity fees for indigent students across our state. That was an idea that was advanced early on through the governor's office, a good idea. And there will be a 2% problem gaming uh, holdback uh, to help facilitate payments for problem uh, gaming and gaming addiction problems. The likely revenue from this will step up from the initial LSC estimates of 30, 40, 50 million into the six figures in a couple years. Make no mistake about it, illegal betting has taken place in the state of Ohio right now. This bill is to regulate illegal betting, but also to allow the opportunity for Ohio businesses to thrive, for Ohio jobs, to secure Ohio jobs, and to help out Ohio schools. The bill was on its way to the governor's desk. He was expected to sign this as well. Lawmakers want the program ready to go by January 1st, 2023, but it could face an obstacle. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains. Racinos and casinos aren't the only ones that may allow sports betting, so will your local bowling center. But how the state plans to spend tens of millions of dollars from sports gambling could spawn a lawsuit that could delay the opening of sports gambling in Ohio that's slated for January of 2023. Inside Wayne Webb's Columbus Bowl. Wayne Webb is excited to someday offer his bowlers more than Keno and lottery scratch-offs. Bowlers are gamblers, and they're always watching the football games, basketball games, and they're gambling in it some way or another, you know, and now they would have an avenue to, uh, to play more. Sports gambling kiosk could soon be in his bowling center as early as January of 2023, but he's not sure it's going to boost his bottom line. I don't think it'll bring people in, but I think that my customers will have something more to do, so it'll make it more exciting while they're here. Under the sports betting bill that's expected to be signed by Governor Mike DeWine, Ohio could generate tens of millions of dollars or more in the first five years of existence. So where's the money going? 98% of the money is going to public and private education. That's not how the lottery money works. Senator Naraj Antani explained the change. The state has made a policy decision uh, that we allow school choice here in Ohio, I support school choice, uh, and and people should have uh, that choice. And so, yes, this money will go to both public and private uh, education. That decision, he predicts, could spark a lawsuit to stop the sports gambling bill from becoming law. I very much believe that there will likely be litigation over that issue. There are also concerns about gambling addiction. Two percent of the revenue from the gambling bill will go towards problem gambling education. We know just from the states around us who have legalized sports betting, and that would be through brick and mortar and mobile, um, that their call volume to their state problem gambling helplines had increased exponentially. Sure, we'll see some correlation, but that shouldn't be the reason to restrict us from doing something. If the gambling bill is signed by the governor, it will take effect 90 days after he signs it. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Under the law, only those 21 years old or older would be allowed to play, and every wager would include a 10% tax. Governor Mike DeWine announced a proposal to direct $250 million in grant funding to law enforcement and other first responder agencies. The money would go to combat violent crime, recruit the next generation of first responders, and enhance wellness resources specifically for officers, firefighters, emergency medical services personnel, and others. These are the people who run towards danger, 
These are the people who risk their lives every day to keep us safe. These are the individuals who are truly, truly our protectors. To put it mildly, when it comes to law enforcement, uh, these past few years have been difficult. There have been calls uh, for funding, defunding the police, which can leave officers feeling demoralized. Some have left the profession altogether. And sometimes there are not enough qualified new recruits stepping up to fill those shoes. This is clearly not the time to defund the police. This is time to fund the police and to fund them in a new and creative way. Our law enforcement officers and first responders are the epitome of selfless service. They've answered the call to protect our communities. Every time our first responders put on their uniforms, they put others first, our loved ones, friends, and neighbors. While they make countless sacrifices for us, we must support them in their endeavors. Giving these heroes the proper tools to do their jobs well is crucial. The grant process announced today will help all our communities fund the resources our first responders need to keep themselves and our neighborhoods safe. $250 million can accomplish substantial good across Ohio. It can help build up our law enforcement and first responders. It's also what the public demands from us so we can all live in safe communities. In leading Innovate Ohio, the governor has tasked our, uh, me and our team towards boosting uh, the use of technology to improve people's lives. We've said from the very beginning, it's about using technology to improve customer service. And in this case, that means protecting men and women in businesses uh, and public services across the state. Tech investments can be a game changer when it comes to solving and preventing crimes as law enforcement is adding technology and data sharing improvements to their toolkit, we know that criminals are also doing so. Specifically, cyber attacks are becoming more and more common and no one is safe from this, including law enforcement officials and other first responders. Cyber criminals are becoming more advanced and we need to invest in the infrastructure and the people to get ahead. This grant still needs approval from the General Assembly. More than $4 billion in COVID-19 relief funds could be coming to schools, health departments, and businesses. This is federal money. The funding needs to be used in the coming months. More than half of the money will go toward the Department of Education. Education is, a, is the primary reason we are doing this bill. There's $2.47 billion going out to education, uh, and that includes JVSs, that includes county boards of development, that includes private schools, and the vast majority of these dollars are recognizing the horrible challenge that our schools are facing, and that is that our kids lost learning, that because of the pandemic, so many kids are behind. So these dollars are designed to go out to the schools to help with that remediation, to help get these kids caught up to the grade level they, sh they should be at. In addition, it is providing significant dollars to address uh, the mental health challenges and the behavioral challenges as a result of uh, the pandemic. So 
we're listening to the schools around the state, what they need, and we're getting those dollars out uh, to them. And just remember, they have to create a program, and then they get reimbursed for these dollars. So if they're not creating programs consistent with what we want, uh, then they don't get the dollars. So we really want them to focus on the issues contained in this bill. $639 million are going for child care grants uh, throughout the state. One of the challenges of our economy these days is getting people to work. One of the challenges there is not having enough uh, child care for the workers. So we are providing additional dollars for them. We are also adding an amendment that we are extending the ability for any child to go to any daycare, even, even if it's not uh, one star until the, December 31st, 2022. We need to get people back to work. We need people. We need children to get into daycare so employers uh, can hire more people. $1.05 billion of this goes to the healthcare industry, uh, and it's going uh, ultimately going to recognize. Uh, the fr fr frontline workers who, throughout this pandemic, you know, dealt with all of us as we, you know, people who got sick throughout Ohio, uh, worked long, grueling hours, still work long, grueling hours. So we want to recognize those workers and flow money down to them and allow, in some cases, the institutions will determine how the money is going to flow out to their employers to retain them, to keep them working. And in some place, uh, when it's uh, obviously a provider system, it's going to go out in a, a different way. But again, it is significant dollars to our healthcare workers to recognize their importance uh, in going forward. Okay, here's a closer look at the breakdown of the funding. $91 million would go to the Department of Health. Hundreds of millions of dollars would go toward Medicaid services, as well as the Department of Safety to help stop violence in our communities. A bill designed to add an extra layer of peace of mind for nursing home residents and their families passed the Senate and the House. It's called Esther's Law. The legislation allows electronic monitoring in nursing homes. Proponents say it will protect the elderly from mistreatment. It will also allow family members to monitor their loved ones using video cameras placed in individual rooms. Redistricting plans for the state house are now up to the Ohio Supreme Court. Several groups, including the League of Women Voters, filed lawsuits against the state, saying that the Ohio Redistricting Commission violated the Constitution when it came up with the new district lines. The state's highest court heard arguments from both sides. In the plan approved in September, the league argues Republicans received 67 percent of House districts and 69 percent of the Senate. We do not expect to hear a decision for a while. We will certainly let you know when one does come down. Ohio House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes says she will step down from the role at the end of this month. Representative Sykes has served as the head of the Democratic caucus since 2019. She says she's considering any and all options to continue her service to the community, whether that's in elected office or as a private citizen. She's going to share those decisions in the near future. In the meantime, she adds that she will continue to be the voice of Ohio's 34th district in Akron. Expanding children's imaginations one book at a time. That's the goal of one Ohio program that just reached a major milestone. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. 
Welcome back. Making sure Ohio's youngest students get the best education. That's the goal of a new committee named Ohio's publicly funded child care and step up to quality program. It will focus on early learning initiatives and also look into whether publicly funded child care is a long term option in our state. Child care is expensive and well, it's getting pricier every year. Progress, at least for providers, came from the city of Columbus and a program at Columbus State to train and certify more workers for free. The state also recently announced a new grant program that will give millions of dollars to eligible providers. 10TV's Lindsay Mills reports the timing couldn't be better as parents try to find the best care for their little ones. The director of this preschool here on the hilltop says he'll be applying for that grant as soon as possible. It's a big thing other than just running a service of babysitting and doing a couple of little activities here and there. It's more important to the society than what we realize. At ABC Christian Preschool, Eugene Norris is struggling to find enough teachers. I'm competing against McDonald's. He says fortunately they haven't had to increase tuition, but childcare tuition is going up for parents in Central Ohio because centers need to keep the doors open. According to Columbus-based Action for Children, 37% of providers had to increase rates since July. And it's already expensive. The average annual cost for care for an infant at a center is more than $13,000. Compare that to in-state tuition at Ohio State University. Part of the problem, centers can't enroll more kids unless they have more staff. And qualified workers are hard hard to find. That's what a new $150 million state grant hopes to help with. The Ohio Department of Job and Family Services is now taking applications for money to help with three things, operating costs, workforce recruitment, and child development, which includes expanding classrooms and increasing resources for kids. I'm very excited about the grant because it has three different areas of possibilities, and all of them are important. For Norris, he's writing his application now and hoping to use funding for recruitment and retention. We're thinking about how do we plan for long-term sustainability and look at this grant as a good foundational place to build something that we can continue. So while this is a step in the right direction, Norris and other child care leaders say more needs to be done. In Columbus, Lindsay Mills, 10 TV News. Expanding the imaginations of kids across our state is the goal of the governor's Imagination Library program. The library just reached a major milestone, 300,000 kids enrolled. The Imagination Library started with singer Dolly Parton. The program mails kids one age-appropriate book each month until their fifth birthday. First Lady Fran DeWine explains what books kids get. And the first book is, no matter when they start, they get Dolly Parton's favorite, you know, I think I can, I think I can, you know, the little engine that could. They get the little engine that could. And the last book that they get when they turn five years old is Look Out Kindergarten, Here I Come. And if if kids are like my grandkids, they're so disappointed when they get this last book. They want them to keep coming. The Imagination Library was originally only in certain parts of our state. Now all kids in Ohio are eligible to be enrolled in this program at no cost to their family. 
All right. Do you love the outdoors? And are you looking for a new job? Stay with us. We may have the perfect solution for you. Up next, the push to hire a new class of natural resources officers. If you are looking for work, but a typical nine to five is not your thing, perhaps a job in law enforcement that places you in the great outdoors could be a fit. Natural resource officers, um, they are um, unique. Chief Doug Young would know. He leads the Office of Law Enforcement at the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. 911, where is your emergency? And ODNR is looking to fill its ranks with a new class of officers. As you see in this promotional video, it's not about walking a beat. Every day is different. Uh, for the most part, folks come to our um, properties to have a good time. Uh, and so we want to make sure that they experience their best time here uh, at ODNR. Um, but there are times when, you know, law enforcement is required um, and our officers are uh, trained. Uh, they're well equipped to handle all situations. All situations. And Chief Young says a passion for service and protecting and promoting the state's natural resources. Candidates must be at least 21 years old. You will attend police academy, followed by six weeks of training. There is a physical fitness requirement and a swim test. If you want a career in law enforcement and you can handle the elements, this job's for you. It certainly keeps you on your toes. It's a wonderful experience. Clearly, this is not a typical nine to five job. Chief Young describes their jurisdiction as vast, covering 75 state parks, 24 forests, and 140 state nature preserves. Do you feel like it's challenging to get people to consider this kind of work um, in light of the pandemic or because people just don't know that it's a rigorous law enforcement position? Uh, I think it is, uh, it is challenging because they don't know. And uh, that's what we're here to do. We're here to say, hey, look, here's opportunities that are uh, a little different than the norm. And, um, you you know, you'll give it a shot, give it a shot, give it a chance. Uh, think about it. And, um, you know, we're an equal opportunity employer. Uh, we'd love to see uh, everyone who thinks they have a desire to to be a, a law enforcement officer, a natural resource officer, uh, to give it a shot. I love in the video, the uh, officer talks about the elements because uh, we are heading into the, shall we say, the cold season. Yes, yes. And you do. You do. You have to be able to uh, endure the elements. Um, but with all the cold and some people love the cold, mm -hmm. uh, there also are beautiful days. Spring, summer, fall, fall uh, is, are great times in Ohio. Uh, and every season brings on its challenges and its own uh, special uh, beauty as well. How often do you get to get out into the into any of the properties? Oh, I, I stay in the field as much as possible. Uh, I've got duties here in the office, administrative uh, duties, but as, as much as I can get out there, I, I do because I, I love I love hiking. Uh, I love riding bikes. So those are things that, that I enjoy personally. This position offers me the opportunity on my downtime to do some of that stuff. But just in the field, I want to I want to be there for uh, our officers. I want to let them know that uh, ODNR as a department, um, we respect them. Uh, they do a great job for us. Uh, and we just want to support them any way we can. 
All right, some other qualifications you should know about include the need for a valid Ohio driver's license. You have to pass a background check, and there is a psychological exam and drug screening. There are 20 openings, and the deadline for applications is Sunday, December 19th. We certainly thank you all for being here with us today or Face the State. We'll see you back here next Sunday. In the meantime, take care. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10-TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. We have the world at our fingertips. Inspiration in our touch and power in our hands. Right here in our hands. We have the power to save a life. If you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest. The power is in your hands. Anthem Foundation is the proud national supporter of the American Heart Association's hands-only CPR campaign. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Our connections make powerful things happen. Uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. And together, we turn great ideas into reality by accessing our networks, our experience, and the best of ourselves to make a difference. Around the world, Rotary brings leaders together to build new friendships and to solve problems. Like in Austria, where generations work side by side to build sustainable housing and community centers. In India, Volunteers run a mobile blood bank to help provide a steady blood supply for their local community. And in Taiwan, people are working hard to get vulnerable citizens the support and services they need. With over one million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org action. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. During a recent news conference from the Ohio Department of Health, one of the speakers presented was Dr. Kerry Warshak from the University of Cincinnati's College of Medicine, talking about pregnancy and COVID-19. Here's about two minutes of what she had to say. Pregnant women characteristically are predisposed to more complicated courses with many infections, such as the flu. With COVID, we have not found pregnant women necessarily to be more susceptible to becoming infected. However, we have found pregnancy does increase the risk of severe infection. Thankfully, similar to non-pregnant women, about 90% of pregnant women will have uncomplicated courses that either have mild symptomatology or even asymptomatic courses that do not require hospitalizations. However, There are now consistent and alarming reports that the rates of severe COVID are much higher when infection occurs during pregnancy. For example, we have found that pregnant women are two to three times more likely to require mechanical ventilation and ECMO compared to non-pregnant women that are age-matched. We've also found they're 18 times more likely to require an ICU admission. But of course, pregnant women are at increased risk for medical issues. So a recent study uh, sought to look at this a little bit differently and inter-COVID compared pregnant women who become infected with COVID to pregnant women who do not become infected with COVID. 
they also found much higher rates of ICU admissions, a five-fold increase. And of most concern, they reported a 22-fold increase in the risk of maternal death in pregnant women who become infected with COVID, again, compared to pregnant women who do not become infected with COVID. They found higher rates of earlier delivery as well as blood pressure disorders of pregnancy, such as preeclampsia. So although the majority of pregnant women will have mild infection, there is no doubt pregnancy is absolutely a risk factor for severe COVID. I would also add that the management of pregnant women who get very sick with COVID is often very, very complicated, secondary to the needs uh, to balance maternal risk and benefits versus fetal risk and benefits. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.